chapter 39 where you're getting at. Just want to remind you, we have beach baptism coming up the second weekend in August, but that's August 10th. So if you have not been baptized since you believe, make sure to sign up online for that. Also, Saturate San Diego. We have been out passing out gospel tracts to men and women in our neighborhood. And I think we have 2,600 doors left. 2,600 doors left. This coming Saturday, I need to see everybody here at 10 a.m. downstairs so we can go out, pass out some tracks. We need 50 bodies, 50 bodies. Come out, hang out with us, pass out some tracks. You don't have to say anything. You just put on their door and keep it moving. So make sure you come out and be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Genesis 39, starting with verse 19. It says, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison whatever they did it was at his doing the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did the Lord made it prosper I like to talk a little while from the thought you're closer than you appear I need you to shove the person next to you just a little bit gently tell them you're closer than you appear you're closer than you appear. You are closer than you appear. Yes. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us today. Lord, my prayer is that you remove our lives with your truth. Let there be a paradigm shift, Father. And we give you the glory for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're closer than you appear. I'm going to jump into the message, but I always believe in giving honor. My cousin, um, my first cousin that I grew up with, and my aunt are here, and they came, they, they came to hang out with me yesterday for breakfast, and they're like, oh, we got to get on the road and get back to L.A. We got a busy time. I said, oh, okay, and they showed up at church today. Thank you so much, Cass. Can you wave your hand, Cass and Audrina? Thank you, thank you. So this is Ricky Williams' older sister. They're twins. She's the oldest, and she used to bully all of us when we were younger. Had us play. Well, she tried to make us play with Barbies. We would not do that. I have wrestlers and G.I. Joes. And, you know, it's just a great, great time. So, amen. Anybody been blessed by this series so far? The gospel according to Joseph? It's been good stuff. I mean, you're closer than you appear. I recently have been in a uh, trial, um, personal trial that I've been enduring the last couple of months. My, uh, my youngest son is going to be 16 in the next couple of months and wants to learn how to drive. So I have taken on the daunting task of teaching him before we send him to uh, behind the wheel. I figure I'm going to get the best out of my money now. If he knows how to drive a little bit before he gets there, when I send him to behind the wheel, he's going to be on his way. So anyone teach anyone how to drive before? Raise your hand if you taught anybody how to drive. Has your heart jumped out of your chest six or seven times before? It's just one of those things. You get in the car and you're like, hey, you're, 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 you're moving to the left. Move, move over, move over. I'm telling you, nothing has tested my faith in God like trying to teach this young man how to drive. 
on the first day we got out there and we went to an empty parking lot and I was like, all right, put your seatbelt on and let's, let's start adjusting the mirrors. And I was like, all right, look at this mirror, notice the difference here versus this mirror and make sure you, you know, where the gear shift is and all this stuff. And I told them to pay particular attention to the driver or the right hand or the passenger side mirror. If you notice in your passenger side mirror, it has this disclaimer on it says objects or objects or objects are closer than they appear. Okay. It says objects for sure are closer than they appear. Interesting thing about that is when you look at your mirror on your driver's side, you can look there and the object there seems like it's right next to you. Look in the mirror, you can look over, you can see it. But when you look out of that right-hand side mirror, you notice there that the view field is a lot bigger, right? Anybody look at that mirror? Or y'all just be driving straight, huh? <laughs> Staying away from you. Uh, you know, when you look in that mirror though, you can see a whole lot more on this right-hand side. That's because the mirror is convex. What it means is, is that it has kind of a, it's kind of lifted a little bit, kind of a round edge, so that when the light hits it, it distorts the image a little bit, making the image larger and make it seem like it's further away than it actually is. That's going to help us in a little bit, because if you look in that mirror, if you were to kind of lean over a little bit and try to slide over and not look over your shoulder, you would notice that the person next to you will honk their horn and show you some sign language as they pass you by. So it's important that you realize that what is in that mirror is actually closer than it appears. It's closer than it appears. You're looking in that mirror, and the reason why you have to know that is because if you go just by sight, you'll end up in a wreck. But if you remember that what I see in that mirror is really closer than what it looks like, then I will position myself and I will move based on what I know, not what I see. It's important that you realize that God is positioning you. I like to use the word planting you so that he can get you to where he needs you to be. So you can fulfill his purpose, his dream for you. You know, God has a dream for you. Do you know that? He, he has a dream for you. When he created you, he said, this person is going to do this. This is the destiny that I have for him. Have a dream for him. Important to realize that Joseph, if we look at his story today, he's been put in prison. He got accused of rape, and the, the person that he was accused of raping was the chief executioner. Now, I find it interesting to know that the chief executioner, whose wife accused Joseph of rape, just put Joseph in prison. I think that's interesting because if I do death for a job, you touch something of mine, I could easily just kill you because that's what I do. But Joseph gets put into prison, not killed. Some of you looking at me a little crazy. I'm the chief executioner. You touch my wife. I give you mercy and send you to jail. You don't know my wife. <laughs> she wants your life. So Joseph is put into prison now we got to look at this because Joseph is put into prison or rather planted in prison because many of us will look at prison as a death sentence you put me in a prison you basically just buried me it's the end of my life everything's falling apart but the difference between being buried and being planted is that when you plant something you prepare the ground for the seed so I'd like to submit to you today that Joseph wasn't put in prison by Potiphar, but Joseph was put in prison by God. Difference between being buried, I prepare the ground for the seed. And once the seed is in the ground, I take care of the seed while it's in there. 
The Bible says that while Joseph was in prison, that God was with him and blessed him. He had a favor. And the, the, the warden basically gave Joseph charge over everything. Now, it's reminiscent to what we heard in Potiphar's house because when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, he ended up charged over everything. Step back a little bit further if you go back to where Joseph was over his brothers. Typically, when we see that scripture, when it talked about Joseph and his brothers, when he had that coat on, the coat didn't just signify favor. The coat signified authority. So Joseph, basically the youngest, was the one in charge of his brothers. Everywhere Joseph went, there was a pattern of him being in authority. And he had to steward someone else's stuff. If you look at the story of Joseph, you'll notice that if you go through, you'll notice that every single test that Joseph is going through, he's stewarding someone else's stuff. He has to steward his brothers. He gets sold. He gets to Potiphar's. He's stewarding there. He gets into prison, and he's there, and he's stewarding. Now, I told you the story about, or that gave you the illustration about the mirror, about things being closer than they appear. Joseph gets into prison Verse number, or chapter 40, verse number one says, after a while or after some time, depending on your translation, meaning that they have been in prison for a while. And the next thing that shows up is a cupbearer and a baker. Cupbearer and a baker. Now, the cupbearer is basically the king's right-hand man. Why? Because he's the one that tastes the wine before the king drinks it. He tastes the wine to make sure there's no poison in it. He tastes the wine to make sure it's up at the standard that the pharaoh is expecting the wine to be. He is right next to the pharaoh. And then you have the chief baker. The chief baker and the chief cupbearer are both in prison with Joseph. Now, had Joseph stayed in Potiphar's house, he would not have been in proximity to the cupbearer and the baker. Position or planted. So what looks like a setback is really a setup for the next thing. It's amazing that God does addition or does, does addition by subtraction. He takes them from the top and puts them at the bottom. But while he's at the bottom, he works the thing like he was at the top. And there's a message there for us because many of us will pacify our pride. What I mean by pacify our pride is, is that, oh, I was in Potiphar's house, I was doing great, and now I'm in prison and everything's falling apart. What you don't see is Joseph ever complain about his surroundings. Joseph goes through the pit, no complaint. Joseph is sold, no complaint. Joseph's in Potiphar's house, no complaint. Joseph is in prison, no complaint. See, one of our, one of our problems is, is we'd rather complain than praise. Because it's easy to complain. Misery loves company, doesn't it? Misery loves company. So as long as we're down, at least we think that. Anybody see a negative post and just immediately block them or just go past them? Like, I need no negativity on my timeline. Or you know somebody's going to call you with some negativity or something that you can't change. You'll be like, um, if I run them the voicemail right away, they know I saw they call. So I'm going to just let it ring. <laughs> You guys know I'm telling the truth. You ever run somebody to voicemail? <laughs> then they'd be like, hey, I saw you got my call. Huh? How you know? Because <laughs> your voicemail came on after one ring. <laughs> so so, so we, 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 we like negativity. We like feeling bad for ourselves. We like pacifying our pride because what we do when we pacify our pride is we say that God couldn't have put me here. He loves me too much. And the reality is that because he loves you, he puts you there. He puts Joseph in proximity with the cupbearer, the right-hand man, and the, the, the chief baker. These are the people that have the ability to kill the pharaoh if they wanted to. So they're in prison. 
there's been some time, if you keep reading the story, they've been in prison and they both have a dream. Joseph notices that they're both down today. He's like, hey, what's going on? Why you guys don't look right? And the cupbearer says, hey, I had a dream and this is what happened in the dream. And Joseph's like, hey, keep telling me. I, I think I can interpret the dream for you. So he interprets the dream. And basically, if you go through and read it, it talks about some vines and some grapes and cups and stuff like that. And ends up that the cupbearer is going to be back where in his position with the Pharaoh. He's going to be restored to where he was before. The baker hears this. The baker says, oh, he got a good report. Tell me about mine. And the baker begins to explain his dream. And Joseph says, hey, man, your head is going to be lifted off of your body. <laughs> Meaning he's going to die. Amen. Now, for many of us in the room, we've, we've experienced that before. You ever, like, see a line, people getting prayed for and everything, and they give this amazing, man, hey, you're going to have $5 million, your kids is going to go to college, this and that, and then they get to you, they're like, you're going to get up to work tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, like, I wanted the prophecy he had. I wanted his thing. Like, let's do this again. Go back and talk to God. So the baker finds out that he is about to die in three days, and in three days it happens. Before they leave, though, Joseph says this to the cupbearer. He says, hey, I didn't do what they said I did. So what I need you to do is when you get out, make sure you remember me. So remember me. When you get out, remember me. Because you were right next to the Pharaoh. Remember me. Well, it says two years later. Now, I got a problem with that because I, I, I helped you get out of prison. And I can get a week. All right, he's living it up, he's drinking, everything's cool, he got all kinds of wine. I can get a month. I can get maybe six months. But two years? You've been sitting next to the Pharaoh, drinking wine, eating cheese, crackers, and all kinds of stuff, and I'm sitting in prison for two years? And then you read a little bit further, and you read that God gave Pharaoh the dream. So now I'm fighting in my mind. Why am I fighting in my mind? God, how come you couldn't give Pharaoh the dream like two days before they got out? So that I'd be ready to get out when they got out. See, sometimes God puts you in position to test your character. What do I mean by that? Character is not just how you act. Character is how you react. And how do you handle having to wait on God when it looks like everybody else is passing you? How do you handle waiting on God when you did nothing to deserve the predicament that you're in? How do you handle waiting on God when you know that what you're going through isn't even for you? So he has to stay there in prison and to endure all of that for two extra years just to get to the point where God said, this is the perfect timing to give Pharaoh this dream. And when he has the dream, the cupbearer says, hey, I know a man that interprets dreams. And they send for Joseph, they get Joseph out of prison, and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. I'm going to hit on that, but before I hit on like that, hit on that, there's some things that I'd like you to consider. When you look at the cupbearer and the baker, because this is the gospel according to Joseph, I want to reveal, open up, or reveal Christ in this story right here. Because sometimes we miss it. We miss the fact that Christ is, they, they say that Christ is the Old Testament concealed, the New Testament revealed. And in this story, Christ is in here. Who else was accused of a crime they did not commit and sentenced to death? Sound like Christ to me, right? Who else was sitting up on the cross between two thieves, people that deserve to be there? 
and one ends up living and the other one perishes. Notice this, that the cup bearer would represent the wine. He's the one that deals with the wine. What does wine represent? It represents the blood. The baker represents the body or the bread. The bread was broken. Notice this. He says that in three days you're going to be restored. So you're going to have to be out of whack for a little while, but in three days you're going to be restored. So the body dies in three days, but the blood goes on. I don't know if we got that. The baker dies. The cupbearer lives. Notice this too. It is the cupbearer that helps get Joseph out of prison. Do you know what redeemed you? I think it was the blood. <laughs> so if the cupbearer is the one that has the ability to get you out, every time I read this, I get more excited about it because I said, Lord, I thank you for my prison. I thank you for the situation I'm in because I'm looking for my cupbearer. See, here's the thing. We don't look for a cupbearer. <laughs> we don't look for the person that has proximity to get me to my next place. We'd rather stay back and just kind of do whatever. Stay on. Anybody work, you know, you work nine to five and you just kind of stay under the radar. Like I'm just kind of stay under the radar, stay under the radar. Stay under the radar. I'm just, I'm not going to do anything to shift anything. I'm going to stay under the radar. And the reality is that you are doing a disservice to your call. Joseph is in prison. He's not staying under the radar. He has authority in his prison. The reality is, is that God wants you to have authority where you are because he's favored you. And because he's favored you, everything you touch should prosper. But we don't want to touch anything because I was in Potiphar's house and I had the very, very best and I'm here and now I'm in prison and now I have the worst. So sometimes when we read this, we don't realize that when he was put into prison, he was put into prison like all of the other prisoners, meaning that he was shackled. The shackles that they placed around his, his ankles would cut him every time he'd move. He had a chain wrapped around his neck. He was tied to a wall. He could not move. That's the kind of prison he was enduring. And then even in that, he never cursed God. He never complained about where he was because he had a dream. Do you have a dream? Do you have something that God showed you that helps keep you moving forward? That even though things around me don't look like what I saw, I keep moving to, to see what I saw. I want you to consider this. One, do not waste God's time. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Joseph is in prison, and immediately what we see is that he had favor there. He got to work immediately. What he did was he did the same thing he did on the mountaintop he did in the valley. Why did he do that? Because it was important to show that I can handle a high place and a low place and never move off of my square. Here's the other thing I want you to realize is that even though you're on the bench, you're still in the game. And the people that actually get in the game are the people that know how to make it happen in practice. The prison was practice for the palace. You thought Potiphar's house was practice for the palace. No, the prison was practice for the palace. Why do I say that? Because while he was there, he learned how to mingle and wheel and deal with the people that worked in the palace. If the prison that Joseph was in was the Pharaoh's prison, that means that the people that were there were people that were close to the Pharaoh, not just the common people. You have to realize that even though you're under, you're under in great ground. The people that you are surrounded with are the people that have the ability to help you move into the next season. 
Next thing you have to do is don't conform to the surroundings around you, but cause your surroundings to conform to you. What does that mean? That means that when I walk in, everything goes up. Everything, you got, anybody have that friend that when you walk, they walk in, like everybody's having fun, they're smiling, and then it gets real awkward in the room? If you don't have that friend, just blink. It might be you. I'm joking. <laughs> but you have that, you know, you, you walk in the room, everything goes up. Elder Cullen is one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, and, and the reason why I say this is that where he goes, everything seems like to just get louder. Like I like loud music, and I don't care what Elder Cullen is doing. He can sit on the keyboard. You don't change the volume, but it seems like the volume just goes up automatically. He grabs the microphone. It seems like the microphone got louder. Like everything he does just goes up. It goes up. Ma'am, sir, when you walk in a room, everything should go up. Where there was lack, there should be overflow. Where there was brokenness, there should be wholeness. When you walk in the room, everything should go up. And the reality is, is that when Joseph walked into prison, the standards of the prison went up. What was amazing to me is that the warden never looked or inspected what Joseph did because God was with him. The reality is, is that some people don't know God is with you because you're not doing anything. They, they have no clue, no clue. But if you put your mind to it and got active in it, they would see that he's not smart enough to do that. It's got to be God. Here's the next thing I want you to do is don't settle for the place when the position doesn't fit. See, I, I, I got, got moving in life pretty early bought a house real early and had some friends that got master's degrees and things like that. And, and they, you know, they just stayed in school and did some things. And, and then I looked up and I said, hey, man, you make less money than me. Like, you got the education. What are you doing? Oh, I don't, you know, didn't do this, this. I said, your education does not say that you should be making this amount. Your gifts don't say you should be doing this amount. What's happening? And the reality was the person had settled for a temporary location and made it permanent. And what some of us do is we take something that's temporary and make it permanent because it's comfortable. Because we prefer the comfort of chaos versus the uncertainty of faith. Joseph said, look, I'm not going to stay in this prison and live like a prisoner because I was called to be a king. What do I mean a king? He was second in command after he got out. So he said, look, I know the anointing on my life. I know my gift of administration. What I do does not work on this level. So I'm going to bring everything up to my level. Can I ask you a question? Are the things around you up to your level? Have you thought about that? Have you walked somewhere and it just wasn't at your level before? You just, it just doesn't feel like we got to move this up. We got to, even if it costs you something, resources, time, whatever, we got to make this fit the way I am. I, I, do, I do sound design for places every now and then, and I might get a call to go do something, and I'll walk in the place, and, and God bless the deacons and, and all the older people with the Bose systems that try to put all Bose and everything, because Bose sounds great at home, but they put it in the church, and they don't get the same church stuff. They get the stuff for the house. So I'll walk in. I was like, um, uh, deacon, th this isn't going to work. What do you mean this isn't going to work? We just spent $10,000 on this. Yeah, this is the wrong stuff. And if I'm going to work here, I can't work on the wrong stuff. So I need you to raise your expectation. I need you to raise your faith and some funds so we can get the thing. <laughs> and some funds so that we can be on the level of my giftedness. 
And the reality is, is you have to do the same thing. Perry Noble says this quote that I believe, he says, you have to build a team that demands excellence. That means that even if you're slacking a little bit, your team won't let you fall. So in the same way, when you walk into a place, you've got to build excellence in the room. Uh, Steve Jobs says this, he said, excellence is a yardstick and some people aren't used to excellence. I said, well, what that got to do with a yardstick? He said, because every now and then you got to swing it. <laughs> people that have been, that grew, anybody used a switch before? Yardstick works the same way. Amen. <laughs> Please don't let the lack of a manifestation of a dream allow you to get complacent. It's important that you do not allow disbelief to set in. Doubt is going to happen. Doubt, doubt is going to happen. You remember the story about Jesus and he went to heal this man's daughter and, and the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He didn't say help my doubt. He said, help my unbelief. You are going to doubt. There's no sin in doubting. There is sin in unbelief. The problem with unbelief is unbelief says that it can't happen here. Doubt says, I don't know, but if you say it, I believe it. Don't let the lack of, of, of the dream happening when you think it should happen cause you to get weary. Joseph is in prison. Some people, they're not really sure, but we know that it was longer than 10 years. He's in prison for about 10 years, doing life. Two years later, gets out. And he's there, and he's making it happen. What I found a little perplexing for me personally was when he gets out, he has this dialogue with Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, hey, this is what your dream means. And God sent it to you because it happened twice. I, I was really struggling with that because I was like, all right, God, why would you have the man in prison for so long? But why, why, would it be, why would he be in prison for so long? And then he has, Pharaoh has this dream, and in the dream, you literally tell Joseph in the interpretation that they need to hurry up and start planning because this famine is getting ready to happen sooner than later. And it brought me back to the mirror. See, it looked like it was a far off. When you're looking at, when you're driving and you're rolling, you look in that right side mirror, they look, the person in, that, in your view looks like they're further away than they really are. But if you look over your shoulder, they're, 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 they're closer. You ever kind of feel the presence of a car when you're driving? It's like, I feel something kind of like right there behind that, right there. God, why would you allow this manifestation of the dream to happen right away when you gave Joseph a dream two decades before? You ever look at that? Like Joseph has this dream about people bound down to him, keeps going through life, going through life. The baker, they have a dream. Three days it happens. Now the Pharaoh has a dream and you're saying this is going to happen. What about me? See, the problem with what about me is it causes you to be bitter because you're looking for something to happen immediately. You're bitter. But when you look at things from an eternal standpoint, you get better. Why do you get better? Because you know what's coming. That's the hard thing, though, being a Christian, is, God, I know you're going to do it, but what do I do in the meantime? How, what, what do I do? Anybody ever wonder, like, God, what do I do in the meantime? Like, God, what do I do in the meantime? I'm going to tell you what you do, what Joseph did. 
you shine. <laughs> you shine in the meantime. You step up. You do whatever it takes to be great in the meantime. What's amazing is once Joseph gets out of the prison, he is immediately elevated to second in command over the entire nation. There's no ramp up time. What does that mean? That means that while I was down here in the prison, I was growing. I was working the administration thing at such a high level that when I got in front of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh asked me a question. I was able to explain to him a plan how we were going to make even more money. What does that mean? That means that your gift is not a luxury. It's a necessity. I think you missed that. I think you missed that. Your gift is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Um, um, anybody have one of these? You got a phone. You're probably taking notes on it or on Instagram or whatever. Got, got your phone? Got, got your phone? Anybody ever leave their phone at home? And while you were driving, you noticed that you didn't have your phone and you turned around to go back and get your phone? It's a necessity. In the 90s, it was a luxury to be able to make a call while you were walking. Now it's a necessity. The same way this is a necessity, the gift that God has given you is going to be a necessity in your next season. What does that mean? I've got to make my gift a necessity. How did he make his gift a necessity? He worked it while he was in prison. So what ends up happening later is God says, now you have got to a place where your gift is now a necessity for where we're trying to go. So now the Pharaoh is calling for him, and the Pharaoh says, hey, I need somebody to interpret this dream. And Joseph says, I, I, I know how to do that. Now, what I don't want you to miss is that after he interprets the dream, the Pharaoh puts a coat on him, puts a ring on him, puts him in second in command. Go back a little bit further. His brothers took the coat from him because he shared a dream. Potiphar's wife took the coat from him. Because he stewarded the house. He interprets a dream and he knows how to steward. What does the Pharaoh do? He puts favor back on him. God wanted to know if you could handle moving without the marker that said, I favored you. God wanted to make sure that you could administrate in a low place before I moved you back to a high place. God is saying, before I give you the palace, I want to make sure that you can handle it down here because the pressure at the palace looks a little bit different, but it's going to be no sweat for you because you did it in a prison. Anybody ever, anybody ever like try to cook and didn't have all the ingredients before, but you just kind of made it work and then you showed up at a place and had all the ingredients and it was super easy. That's what God is doing with you right now. He's saying, if you can work two eggs I got some margarine. It says butter, but I'm going to make this margarine work because I'm not going to the store. It says we need this and that. We got this spice. We're just going to put this in here and make it work together. That's what God is trying to do with you right now. He's trying to make sure that you can improvise so that when you get there where you have all of the tools, you ever walk in a place and add everything? And it was like, oh, this is much easier than I thought it was. I was over here working real hard. God is just saying, I just want to make sure you know how to work. I don't want no lazy people. I got, I got two, two things that I got to do, and then we, I got a story, and we're going to move out the way. Um, what I noticed, too, about this story is that Joseph had the right flavor. Had the right flavor. He had the right, he had the right flavor. He had the right flavor. What do I mean by that? So every situation he went into, things seemed to get better. They just kind of leveled out. 
The person that was over him was like, hey, Joseph's here. I don't have to worry about anything. We, 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 have, the, we have that same ability, that same giftedness, that same authority working on, that same power working on the inside of us. Like when we show up to things, it, not, I didn't just mean that it should just get better. The flavor should be right. It should feel good when you're in the room. The church, the, 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 Jesus says that you guys are the salt of the earth, the salt of the earth. You know what the problem with the church is? We've got high blood pressure. Why we have high blood pressure? Because we keep salting on each other. And there's too much, salt in the, too much salt in the mix. He said, go and compel them to come in. That means that you have to take the flavor that you get here and sprinkle it everywhere else. The reality is that we keep sprinkling it on each other. So the people that pray, pray for each other. The people that sing, just sing in this little room. We do everything in this one microcosm, and we wonder why things aren't getting better. And God is saying, I didn't ask you to keep salting each other. I told you to take the flavor to them. And the only way this is going to look like this is if you take the same thing you do in church and move it out here. That means that some of the expressions that we do in church are great from here, but that means we can't just stop doing them here. If you pray here real hard, I expect you to walk down your street praying real hard. If you're over here able to help heal somebody through a prayer, then you should be able to take it outside and do the same thing. What happens sometimes is we don't have confidence that what showed up here can show up out there. One, one, one of our major issues is that the world doesn't want to come to church because they think we're crazy because all they see is what we put. We show, them a, uh, uh, we, 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 we show them something and don't let them have an encounter with the power of the Holy Ghost. I, I, I was listening to one of my favorite speakers. His name is Andy Stanley. He said, you know what? Lights and skinny jeans is not going to change the world. I said, I'm not skinny enough to wear skinny jeans. <laughs> Wouldn't wear them if I could. I said, I, I, what do you mean by that? He says, we as a church have spent a lot of money investing in lights and cameras and, and all these different things, and we stopped talking about the God that we're supposed to come and worship because we've turned worship into a God. So we don't talk about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead because that is the thing that got you saved. And if that's the thing that got you saved, then you got to take the same thing that got you saved and give it to someone else. See, Trends will change, but the word does not change. That's why he said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So it's great that you have nice lights, and it's great that you're stylish, but if you don't take your stylish self and all your lights out to somebody and give them an encounter with the power of the Holy Ghost, it won't change. What they need to hear is that there is a God that sent his only son to come, to come and to die for you. And because he died, he didn't just die, he loved you enough to get up. And because he got up, you can have relationship with him. See, we don't preach like that. We don't talk like that anymore because we feel we've arrived. So I need something deep. Show me the mysteries. I need, I need something deeper. What do you mean he died? I'm telling you, he died works for me every day. <laughs> he died and got up every, every day. I can hear that message. He died and got up. He died and got up. That works every day. We want something so deep and we want, like God, if God really gave you the real mysteries of who he really was, you would die. It'd be too much. It'd be too much. So, so, so moving away from he died and got up is the reason why the church feels like it does. We just keep more salt on each other. So we got high blood pressure now and we're unhealthy. 
because we keep salting on each other. And he said, no, stop salting on each other. Salt on them. Be the salt of the earth, not of the church. Be the salt of the earth, not the church. I said, Lord, well, this is a great story and everything, but what what do we take with this? Gave me Romans 5. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through who also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. I said, all right, Jesus, make this make sense. Verse number three hit me in the face. It says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. There's an S on there, tribulations. Knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. I said, Lord, this didn't make no, what do you mean glory? We say glory to God in church. And, oh, give him glory. Get, what do you mean glory? Glory, the, the tribulation? That doesn't make sense. You go back and look at the original text. That word glory means rejoice when tribulation shows up. You're looking like I looked. Rejoice when tribulation shows up. I'm not happy about a tribulation. No, he said be happy about the tribulation because what it does is it produces perseverance, meaning that you know how to stand in a bad situation. And what perseverance does is it shows that you have character. And character gives you hope. Hope in what? That the same God that got me out of the last thing and get me out of the next thing. And because I've gone through one tribulation and you got me out, I know that you can get me out of the other. How would that work with my illustration? When I look in that mirror to the right, it looks like I got a victory a long time ago. But if I look over my shoulder, it was just the other day. Because I'm closer than I appear. I said, Lord, well, okay, that's cool. I'm, I'm learning how to persevere, and I got a little bit of character. And he said, now hope. Verse number five says, now hope does not disappoint. That sounds like a double negative, like it doesn't disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. Your hope in Christ will not lead to disappointment. It will lead to celebration because hope does not disappoint. The reality is that you have to go through all of these steps, though, to get to hope, meaning that your character is at a place because you persevered a bad tribulation, not a trial. Trials instantaneously. Tribulations, this is over and over again, just extended periods where I'm fighting and wrestling. What is God doing? He's wrestling with your character. He's wrestling with your character. He's wrestling with your character. Why is he wrestling with your character? Because if he puts you where he wanted you to be at right now, your character couldn't sustain it. Your character couldn't handle it. Your character couldn't handle the pressure of being a millionaire right now because you can't manage $10. Your character couldn't handle being married right now because you don't know how to, well, you keep swiping left. Nope. Your character can't handle it, can it? A man that findeth a wife, meaning she's already a wife before you find, character can't handle it. So he's letting you persevere right now. So he can build character in you. And once you have character, now you've got some hope. Because God, I'm ready. Where's my cupbearer at? Where's he at? I got one thing left and I'm going to move out to space. There, there, there's a, there, where, where's, where's my music at? 
Elder Cullen? I just talked about how much I cared about you and loved you. you, you come on. I like when he shows up, but he be late sometimes. Oh, you always on time, huh? <laughs> Make sure it fits the song. Don't do nothing extra now. <laughs> it fits the story. There's this story of a farmer who was married for a couple of decades. And he's married and it's him and his wife and his dog. And eventually his wife passes away. It's just him and the dog. He's just kind of going through life. And this older gentleman kind of setting his ways. He's just doing life, just kind of waking up, just kind of doing the same thing. This dog goes out, runs around on the property. And one day, hears the dog barking. Doesn't see the dog, looks out the window, doesn't see this dog. He's like, where's the dog at? Dog is just going crazy, barking. And eventually he walks out, looks around the property, sees that the dog fell into a well. The well was empty, but the well was too deep for the farmer to get down and get the dog out. Starts thinking, like, how can I get this dog out? He's got, he's got a ladder. The ladder's not long enough. He can't throw the throw a rope down to him because who's going to tie the dog up so she's kind of sitting there thinking like how do I get this dog out of this predicament people hear the dog barking his neighbors they come out kind of look around kind of see what's going on they look in they see the farmer walks into the barn he comes back with a shovel grabs the shovel stands over the well looks picks the shovel up grabs some dirt, throws it down. Does this a couple of times, starts filling in what we would think is filling in the well. Keeps doing it over and over again. And the neighbors are looking, they're like, oh man, it's just gotta be tough. He lost his wife, his dog is the last thing. He's been comforting him and now the dog is in there and he's burying his dog alive. Just doesn't look like there's a way for the dog to get out. So he's, he's just sitting there shoveling. And the people from the side, the neighbors are looking and like, oh gosh, this has got to be so hard to just bury your, your, your companion, your dreams, your, just the thing that was sustaining you. It's just, it, just burying, you're th just throwing dirt, just, and this goes on for hours and hours and hours. He's just, he's throwing dirt in, just keeps shoveling dirt, shoveling dirt. Shoveling dirt, just feeling, trying to fill the well in. Shoveling, shoveling dirt. The people notice that they don't hear the dog anymore. So like, oh my God, this dog is dead. He's just, he's just filling it in. He's just, he's just filling it in. The neighbors start trying to get closer. They're like, well, let's gather around him and at least console him a little bit. He just lost his best friend. And they get close. And they, they, as they're walking up though, He's still shoveling, still shoveling. He's just keeps shoveling, he keeps shoveling it. I mean, like it's been like four hours and he's just still shoveling. He's still, shoveling. he's still throwing the stuff down and the people get closer and they get closer and where this table is, the people are getting close. They, they can't, they, they see something moving. They see something moving and they get closer. And what they notice is by the time they get up is that the dog that looked like he was buried was out of the well.
the, the, the dog was out of the well. Some of you don't understand why I'm smiling so much right now. The dog that looked like he was dead was out of the well. See, the people from where they were, it looked like the dog was dead. And it looked like the man was trying to bury the dog. The reality was that they didn't know about this dog. Because every time the man threw a little bit of dirt on him, the dog just shook it off. So every time the man just kept throwing the dirt on him, he just kept shaking it off. And this was going on for hours. And this tired, dirty dog came out of something that should have killed him. And the thing that looked like it was trying to destroy him was the thing that God used to elevate him. So every time you feel something falling on your head, when it feels like life has got you all messed up, you just gotta keep, just keep, just keep, just keep shaking, just keep shaking, just keep shaking, just keep shaking. This dog comes out tired, dirty, but alive. Tired, dirty, but alive. Tired, dirty, bruised, but alive. I don't know what you're going through right now, but you're going to come out tired. You might come out dirty. You might come out bruised. You might come out with a little bit less, but you'll still be alive. And just like Joseph, when you get to your next place, he's going to put a coat on your shoulders, put something on your finger so that everybody can see that this man's not just favored by God, but he's favored by man too. sir I don't know who needed to hear the story today you gotta shake it off you gotta shake it off sometimes we miss that we just stay there in the pit and it was like oh he's killing the dog and the, and the people get up they go crazy they're ecstatic they're like wow we never what we didn't know, we didn't, we didn't understand what he was doing. And the man said, I knew something that you didn't know. And God knows something about you that what he puts you in, you can handle. The test that you're in, you can handle it. You can handle it. You can handle it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminding us today. that we've been planted and not buried, that we've been positioned to be elevated, that you put us in the place we are for your purpose so that you get glory, so that you get the honor, 